Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 Horror Watch List, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores how today's horror filmmakers are getting their movies made while deconstructing their methods and career strategies into practical insights that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes their creative processes, funding resources, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and much, much more. Jean-Luc Herbelot is a Congolese writer and director known for Dealer from 2014 and the TV show Sako and Mangane, now streaming on Netflix. His most recent movie is Saloom, a Senegalese horror thriller about a trio of mercenaries escaping the 2003 coup d'etat in Guinea-Bissau before taking refuge in a hidden region on the Saloom River of Senegal, only to be at the mercy of supernatural forces. So I think I'm going to go ahead and say this was my favorite horror movie of the year. Yes, I know. Smile, Barbarian, Terrifier 2, etc. But there was something so fresh, so unique, so stylish, and so memorable about this movie. The approach to horror, everything. I was thinking about the characters for weeks afterwards, and overall, this is a very fine film. There's something very refreshing about being exposed to a culture that you know very little about in the context of a horror movie that brings into the picture lesser-known supernatural legends. Africa is abundantly rich with mythology around monsters, ghosts, demons, and Saloom dives into this while delivering a kick-ass movie in the process. Seriously, just see it and let me know what you think. Jean-Luc is a very passionate filmmaker and was a lot of fun to talk to. We got into the making of Saloom, how he funded it with his own money, and the difficulties and benefits of shooting in Senegal. So, without further ado, here is director of Saloom, Jean-Luc Herbelot. Jean-Luc, great to see you. How are you? Hello, Nick. Yeah, great to see you too. Thank you for making time during production. Um, I have to say, I loved Saloom. It uh, it was one of the coolest, most surprising horror movies of the year. Uh, definitely one of my favorites of the year. And um, thank you. It was just so cool um, and intriguing. And it's funny because I I heard you on another interview or I read another interview. <clears throat> there was one movie that I was thinking about, and then you mentioned it, and I was like, oh, okay. And that was from Dust Till Dawn. And it's nothing like From Dusk Till Dawn, but conceptually it's similar in how the first two-thirds of the movie aren't really horror, and then you're like, wait a minute, isn't this supposed to be a horror movie? And then the third act, the horror element just drops. And mm-hmm. it's like, for me, I feel like the, the, a really good litmus test for a horror movie is if you take the horror element out, do the character's story, does that all still work? And in, in the case of Saloon, you know, absolutely. You didn't need to make it horror, but the horror just made it extra cool. So yeah. I was wondering, with, with an already really interesting pre-existing story and series of characters, where did the horror element come from? How did you choose to make this a, uh, a, a horror story, if you would categorize it as horror anyway? 
so when DID came to make the movie, which was, uh, so I, I worked on the story with my partner in crime, Pamela Diop, who is the co-producer, producer of the movie. Uh, and, and we started, so she's, she's from the Saloum, from that region, right? She's half French, half Senegalese, I'm half French, half, half Congolese, so I have nothing to do with Senegal at the very beginning, but I live there. Uh, and she invited me in the Saloum, so we went there, and when I saw, uh, because what you see in the movie is probably like one-fourth of Saloum, to be exact, to be, to be, uh, sincere, like Saloum is very big, there is a lot of different, uh, uh, landscape mm-hmm. uh, and when I went there I was just you know mesmerized by it and I said well we need to shoot a fucking western here <laughs> she was like Senegalese western I was like yes man uh, and then she also gave me her ideas what she wanted what she likes and and that idea of having people stuck in a camp in in the saloon came you know so that's how the came uh, the camp came in fruition Mm. And uh, but I couldn't uh, resolve myself with just having uh, an Agatha Christie in the saloon, right? So I was like, mm, no, we need we need something, we need something savage there. Yeah. Uh, so that's why the that's how the monster came. But but they also came because I wanted to. So that's when I went on my side to write the script. Uh, I w- one of the goal of Saloon was first we wanted to do a genre movie which is something that you don't usually see or do in Africa, right. first of all, and especially in West Africa and especially in French language Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, it was to show the rest of the world that, that in Africa you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of legends, myths, monsters, a lot of stories that has not been exploited. Yeah. So the goal for me was I don't want to invent anything. I want to go from what's existing. What's mm. the what's the folklore there? So I went to it, did a lot of research because because it's very difficult to 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 find new stuff because they, there is no you know history books or whatever, right? So you st- you ask people, you go to some people, you start asking legends and blah blah blah, and then came the legend of Ganasirabana, the um, the the Senegalese king, right? The, the the king of the Saloon or one of the king of the Saloon from very from a very long time, and that curse. And that story of curse, I love stories of curse king and stuff like that because I'm a big uh, uh, fantasy fan also. So, so that thing was like, okay, I have my Lord Sauron <laughs> in the saloon. Yeah. Uh, we don't have rings, but at, at least we can have a malediction coming from it. So a curse coming from this. And then I just wanted to play with, uh, I, when I was writing Saloon, I think there uh, there was a movie coming out, and I'm sorry I have a hold with the title, uh, but it's that movie where you you can't hear you you can't you can't do any sounds, otherwise you're gonna die, right? It's oh, with, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, quiet place, place right? quiet place. Yeah, a quiet place, exactly. Thank you. So there was a quiet place somewhere, and I was like, hmm. so if they do, you can talk. Let's do you can't hear. Mm. <laughs> Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it was a, a bit like, oh, okay, you guys did that. Let's try that, right? And of course, when when I had that idea, then I was like, that's gonna be fucking cool if those guys just have ed- headsets, you know? Like I never saw that in an or a movie. Yeah. And then of course came the character of the mute one, because then when once you build this kind of monsters, you always need a character who is like an antidote, right? Mm-hmm. So who is the best one to not hear anything? The one that can't hear anything. So, so that's how the mute, the mute girl came. And then, of course, it brought other sequences that, of course, you know, which is the dinner scenes with the, the, the language that I'm not going to talk about here because I like people to discover that. Yeah. Uh, so it came, it came, everything came piece by piece, you know, with all the, the envy and, and especially the envy of doing something different and fresh as a genre movie in Africa because for us, it's still... One of the first genre movie, one of the first African genre movie, to be honest. Like, there's not, there's not a lot out there. Yeah. Or at least that we know, you know. So, so we really wanted to go deeper in the genre codes and not just say, hey, we need a Western in Senegal. Oh, hey, we need an horror movie in Senegal. It was more like, yes, we're going to do this. But then let's also please the genre fans that we are and that people are. 
yeah. by watching this, if it makes sense. No, of course, of course it makes sense. Yeah. And it just feels like there's so much rich history there and rich mm -hmm. mythology. And I mean, I'm sure you have multiple other ideas for, uh, for other... Yeah, you heard that in the interview, probably that you heard, my guess is, but there was a version, the first version of the movie was two hours and 50 minutes. Whoa. The version that you have today is one hour and 25, 24. Yeah, like it that. flies like a bullet. Uh, yeah. And so they watched, there was a lot to say. There was a lot about the characters, about the region, about the monsters, about the curse, about this and that. And, and then in editing, it just it was a battle to, you know, go back to the real story, which is Shaka. And what's happening there, right? But yeah. but it was way bigger, way richer, and and I even restrained myself again because, like I said to you, I what you see in the movie is probably one fourth, one fifth of. Well, wow. it's bigger than that. So uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of restraint, but at the end of the day, you need a you need a movie, right? So yeah, of course. That's why anything is there to uh, to rape a director's mind? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wish I could see a director's cut because, uh, yeah. What's uh, some scene, yeah, yeah. Now it's funny because I, I grew up with with all my fellow directors and big directors saying, "Why this direct? Why this is my director cut? Or why yeah. this will never go out?" Blah, blah blah. I can say this will never go out because okay. because at the end of the day, do sequence were. Some were working, some were not working. And when I say not working, it's probably about the tone of them because a lot of them were humoristic. And, and we felt at the end that it was not the tone of the movie. Mm -hmm. So some scenes stayed there. As you can yeah. see, there, there's still some humor in the movie. But the humor was way, uh, <laughs> way special. Way, there was way more stuff, way more weird stuff also. So, so we decided to go to a version of the movie that everybody could understand. <laughs> yeah but there was more stuff than that gotcha. so you're a good instinct yeah uh the other thing your your three main characters they were so mm -hmm. cool i just i wish me i could too. see them in more movies i mean these guys were so me too. cool me too it was done for that <laughs> oh yeah oh okay yeah, yeah. interesting Salum was always of uh, uh i always saw the movie or that story as a second act of something bigger and and okay. even the movie itself when it starts you can feel like we're starting in the second act or yes, at the end of yes, the first act, totally, right? totally. which was the, always the goal. So they, it, it was supposed to be the end of the Yenas. Okay. And, and after that, there is an entire story around those guys and what they do and what they have been doing. Blah, blah, blah. So I have all this written because oh. I always wanted to move from a movie to something else, maybe a video game, maybe a comics, whatever. So there was always a bigger... Uh, universe to all this yeah and you can uh, feel that watching the movie you can tell that you thought mm -hmm. through these guys in the previous yeah. 10 years of their life it just felt like you were yeah like you said you were dropped you know what? The exactly act. that's 10 years by the way oh yeah <laughs> how did you know that no that, i'm not joking that's 10 years feels yeah, like yeah. it it feels like it. it's just so well developed yeah. even though you don't see all these details on the screen you could tell mm -hmm. that you the filmmaker thought through all of these backstories mm -hmm. of these guys and they just felt so thoroughly formed um, could you tell yeah. me where these characters came from and how you developed them? Um, so Salum was a big discussion. I'm going into something more philosophical now. Great. Uh, Salum was a big discussion between me and my myself, seven years old. Meaning like I grew up, as a kid, I grew up drawing, writing, doing music, uh, programming video games when I was 13, 14. So I was always trying to create what I understood later, create worlds, right? Different, different, different uh, worlds. So I'm a lot into world building, mm. which means that usually when I write a movie, maybe my first movie, which was called Dealer, for example, this one was supposed to be a trilogy. This one was supposed to be a trilogy also. The other movies that I'm writing, they're always supposed to be trilogy, meaning like there's always yeah. a bigger world into that because I never know and you never know what's going to happen next. Uh, and it also helped me to nourish the 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 actors the character the heart departments everybody to understand for example uh they understood they all understood very lately why the red gloves right okay. and everybody was like the first time that we did this costume essay everybody were like red gloves are weird i'm like wait for it uh because there was there was a goal for that um so it's all about, I'm, I'm a lot into details. Sometimes it's a big problem because sometimes you have a movie that is supposed to be one hour 30 and it's two hours 50. Yeah. <laughs> so because I'm a lot into details. Uh, 
but that's all because I'm coming from from. I wanted to become a comic artist at the very beginning. So I'm, I'm, I, I draw a lot. Uh, I'm very curious about world building again, and um, and those characters came from. So I'm back to your question. Yeah. <laughs> trying to not lose myself. Uh, those characters came from the fact that I, like most of my African fellows, I didn't grow up with African heroes. You know, so so when I finally had the, the opportunity, meaning the people to work with, the money that we can work with, the, the fact that it's very easy to shoot in that region, it's very easy to shoot in Senegal because you don't have unions, you don't have a lot of things. So 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 it's a gold rush for everybody who wants to do something new in Africa. Hmm. Uh, the opportunity came for me to say to that seven years old, hey, you know what? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do what you were dreaming about, um, and then. That conversation with that seven years old is also is also a conversation to the other kids in Africa. Meaning, uh, what type of hero do you want? What type of hero do you have? Uh, and by the way, for example, what is how does an African mercenary look like? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know. Me, I know because I lived the civil war in Congo at a certain period, so I know how they look like. But most of the people they don't know how they look like, and most of the time when you want to see some. Um, military guy or or specialized military guy in movies in Africa, they're South African and yeah. they're white South African. And I was like, mm, there, there's other guys that we're not seeing there, right? So that was a way to say, if you're asking yourself how an African soldier slash soldier of fortune look like, mm-hmm. here's one example. You know, so it was all about, and it's always about, uh, and that's my that's my that's my way of thinking when I'm thinking about movies. Movies are all about building a visual uh, legacy. Does it make sense? You're yeah. building a, vi- a visual uh, realm of yeah. things that doesn't exist, right? That's why, that's why it's fascinating. For example, we were just talking about critters or yep. uh, just behind you or, or uh, well, sorry, some people won't see it. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, we're talking about all those creatures, but, but if nobody created them, then we will never know about them. Right. And that's, what, that's what's so fascinating about movies in general and, and, and genre movies is like you're creating stuff that probably are coming from whatever, you know, uh, somebody's talking to you in your sleep or however you call it inspiration. But, but at the end of the day, it's about putting in this world some stuff that doesn't exist. So that's the passionating thing. And that's what passionates me about movies. And, and again, these free guys, I just wanted them to exist, you know? So, so, uh, so you do your best for them to First of all, to exist visually, and then to exist in emotionally, yeah, emotionalize, and that's the most difficult things. And that's where uh, Shaka is the one who is bringing this character to on the real ground. You know, when you know what happened to him and what he's seeking, that's not a, that's not only a genre movie anymore. That's a human that he's yeah. talking to, right? And once you have that connection with this guy, when you look in his eyes and you can see that everything that he's saying has an impact on him. And as a soldier and as somebody that you just seen 10 minutes before being that stylish and, and, uh, and great looking and powerful, blah, blah, blah. Now he's just crying in front of you and saying something that you can relate to. Yeah. And once you have that, then you can bring the monster mm. because then you can think about everything. Right. Interesting. So, so, so again, answering to a question and finishing on that, creating characters, it came from all this, but it also came from how you can fulfill fulfill those characters with emotions for the audience to, you know, to welcome them. To yeah. Be with them. yeah, yeah. They can't be all style and no substance. Clearly, no, no. And if you watch carefully, we were just talking, for example, about Dusty Dome. Mm-hmm. If uh, if there were not two brothers, that will not work. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's what's great about what what Tarantino did because he wrote that, and of course Rodriguez did was. You 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 can you can not like them, but you cannot deny the fact that he loves his brother. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. and 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 we all know what it is to love a sibling, right? So yeah. at that moment, you are attached to the movie, you're attached to the story, you're attached to the character, and then you can bring the vampires. <laughs> right? But yeah, so that's why it was working so well in Dusty Dome. You know, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the only big reference that I kept with me when I went on doing Saloon, which was I want something that switched the genre yep. at, the, at, the, at the middle of the movie. But in the same time, I want to relate to this character. I want to, the audience to, to, to 
when one is dying to feel something about them and ju not just having people kill them. Yeah, it's fun. Right, uh, right. Um, yeah, I feel like challenge. that's lacking in a lot of horror movies that just try to give you the scares without gripping you emotionally up front to the characters. Yeah, and sometimes it's not just the fault of the writer or the director. Sometimes you need a movie that needs to be less than two hours and you don't yeah. have the time to, you know, work on the emotion of your characters or work on grounding them. So, but in every movie, I think that's the secret. It's your character needs to be relatable. However, yeah. they're bad, good, you know, if you don't understand them, if you don't ground for them, whatever the genre is, mm -hmm. and it's going to be difficult. You got to ground them in humanity. Yeah. 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 Uh, and especially in genre movies. I yeah. Think. What are some of the things that people who are less familiar with Africa's history and current backdrop need to understand about the backdrop of the movie in terms of current events and past events and things like that? Ha, that's, you know, that's, you were asking me who didn't ask a question. This is a question that I never heard. So congratulations. Cool. Uh, that's a very good question. There's a lot because, because Saloum, I, I wanted Saloum to talk about military background, African military background. Uh, myths and legends, we were talking about that. Uh, what is a soldier in Africa at the time? Blah blah blah. So it's dealing with a lot of different things. But if I can give some keys, uh, first and foremost, Ghana Sirabana, you can you can read on that on the internet. This it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took it took me some time to find it, but you can you can read it. Uh, after that, Guinea Bissau. Uh, it's a funny thing because in the movie it's just the introduction and then we 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 leave Guinea Bissau. But Guinea Bissau is supposed to be uh, the first narco state in Africa. Okay. Uh, so so it's our Mexico. Got it. <laughs> in a way, in West Africa, and uh, and it's a pirate city. I find that fascinating. Like it's like every three every two three years there's a coup d'état there. Wow. Right? So, so so it's one of the. The most interesting, and when I say interesting, I'm talking in uh, conflict-wise, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's a very interesting country in terms of how it built itself uh, from a next colony to the country that it is today. Uh, so the fact of having mercenaries going there and 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 uh, and uh, extracting a drug lord, it's entirely possible. Like this is not something that is not uh, possible. And right. by the way. If you cross the, I think the movie, not I think, I think it was in 2003, uh, the coup d'etat that I put in, in the movie, uh, that's exactly what happened there, which was there was a coup d'etat and then the, the military guys who came were like, okay, now we're going we're gonna to clean all this mess about drugs and all this, right? right so there was right. like, a, there were a policy about that. Uh, okay. Uh, so, so that's where the movie starts from. Um, and after that, you have the Saloum, of course, yeah. and, and the Saloum itself, all the problems that that I'm talking about, and they were bigger in the in the longer version, but all those uh, environment, environmental problems and stuff like that, that's a big subject also in the Saloum, right? Uh, Got it. Uh, illegal fishing, uh, a lot of different subjects. So I tried to also talk about it, but in a very subtle way, because mm -hmm. that's about the camp, right? Uh, so there's also the region of Saloum is a very beautiful and very interesting uh, subject about what we're living today, which is that environmental crisis, that slash energy crisis. Yeah. So there was also that. Um, and I think that's pretty it. And then, then of course, you have the monsters and all this, but that's the genre thing. And that's the Ganatsu again. Uh, yeah. Legacy. So. But there's a lot to dig in if you're quite interested into the universe of it. And there's a, there, there's a lot of small details here and there. And even in some conversation when they're talking about Thomas Sankara or guys like that who are very big in the African uh, memory of yeah. what was uh, uh, our great politicians or leaders or, stuff, or guys like that. So, yeah. so there are some little stuff here and there for the people who want to go deeper into what the movie is talking about. Yep. Um, and there are some other codes, but I won't give them. For <laughs> <laughs> the people who want, for example, the the but you can you, you can see that more on the on the poster. There is the there is the moon and there is the sun and there is this kid, right? So yep. of course there is a for those who knows all this those those uh, those uh, signification. There, there are some stuff there to to be said, but I won't tell them. So so there's a lot of small codes. Nice. Uh, so thanks you for asking. No, of course. Yeah. 
Uh, and what was it like filming where you filmed in the actual saloon? Because you said there's not a huge production infrastructure. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, the camp that you see in the movie was our base camp. Okay. So we were sleeping there. Uh, the, the small, stupid anecdotes, it's the the cabin that they're they're using at the end of the movie to hide themselves in it's my room okay so it's my bedroom <laughs> so uh we shot there for nearly six weeks i think it was five weeks uh five weeks in the camp uh one camera no phone no internet no wow. nothing so yeah it was five weeks in the jungle basically but it was a desert wow. <laughs> yeah. so pamela the, my my partner, she was doing the trip two 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 times a week, I think something like that, to bring some money and to bring some <laughs> some liquid money to pay uh, different stuff. And yeah. at the same time, to if somebody was sick or whatever, it was always uh, quite difficult to evacuate anybody. So so yeah, it was a uh, it was like in the movie, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> like that camp was exactly what we were living. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, the only difference was we didn't have our lovely Omar to, to welcome us in right. the camp. It was more, more difficult than that. Uh, but yeah, it was rough. It was rough for five weeks. I think I, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't have the, the English conversion, but I think I, I lost like 15 kilos. Whoa. And yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It was wow. Hard. Oh, that's um, incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was a hard one. And it was just, just before COVID, meaning that when we finished, we were like, Yes, back to civilization. No. Oh no. <laughs> you know, so yeah. So it was a hard time. Yeah. Oh, that must have been uh, rough. Yeah, yeah. And then it was also a challenge for the movie because of course everybody we didn't know if we were all gonna die, whatever's gonna happen, right? So yeah, of course. So the post production took took uh, nearly a year and a half, you know, just for us to to go back on our feet and finish the movie. Yeah. Uh, so so COVID uh, hurt us quite bad at that moment. A bad, a bad. The movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, the location, it looks amazing. And there's a level of authenticity. You can tell it's mm-hmm. the real mm-hmm. place. <clears throat> yeah, and we I'm, didn't take anything. Yeah. yeah, everything was there. So, And we didn't have the money to build anything. So everything that you see in the movie, it's basically everything that we had. Uh, there's, on, there's one stupid anecdote, for example, uh, when they're fighting the monster at the end of the movie where you have that long take, you know, when they're running and all this. This village was all gray, so we started yeah. to paint it. I wanted it to look a bit like a like a old Western set, uh, abandoned Western set. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we painted also the tree that you see. There's a tree in the middle of the court where there's a lot of spirit at the moment, blah, blah, blah. And that, that tree, by the way, was a sacred one. Oh, wow. So we got insulted and... <laughs> Oh no! By the locals, uh, so that set was yeah, it was quite a mess, quite interesting days that we we had there. Um, but to answer to your question, yeah, most of the sets and everything that you see in the movie is there. Yeah, uh, and again, that's that's not even the half of what you're gonna find in in the saloon. So it's a very impressive region. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's surprising because the movie had such a distinctive look to it. You know, the, the use of colors and the way it was shot. What was your approach like with your production designer? Because the design felt very specific. So it's interesting that uh-huh. you didn't build on anything or anything like that. But what was your uh, process like with your production designer? Because the movie had a, a, a really cool and distinctive look. Um, that's a very interesting question. That, that was two years ago. Let me let me remember. <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, I think production designer in general they love me because I draw everything first. Okay. So so I drew already Shaka. So the the, the Yenas. I drew basically I drew everybody already. So even even from costume when I go to costume I know exactly what I want which can be a pain in the ass for those people because sometimes they want to bring ideas, which mm. I always try to let them do. Yep. But at the end of the day, when you have something locked, you have something locked, right? So so, so usually when I come on, a, on pre-production, I'm already set, meaning like uh, here's going to be, here's the character, here's the kind of environment. So for the saloon, 
like I said, I was I was trying to go for the feel of it, it has to look like an old Western, but in an African environment. Yeah. Uh, which is not difficult in the saloon because you have a lot of colonial old. Uh, 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 sorry, I'm losing my English on that. No, um, no worries. Uh, houses and, and architecture. Uh, so on that, it was not difficult. But I was trying to find something that was as colorful as cold, which is weird to say it mm, this way. Okay. But most of the time when you have uh, movies in Africa or in India or whatever, you know what I'm going to talk about, they always bring that orange, yellow color, whatever. Yeah. Like It's like that on, <laughs> when you go in there, but it's definitely not like that. So I tried to avoid that cliche and go into something that could look a bit more cold. But of course, when you go in the saloon, it's a desert. So if you try to put a desert cold, it's going to start weird. Mm, but at okay. the same time, that's what we did at the end of the movie when they are in the spirit world right. where you can feel like you're in a desert, but it, it's cold. So right. so that weirdness worked for that part. Uh, but I, I, yeah, the answer to your question is, is, is in prep, meaning like in my prep, meaning like I never... Especially when I when I write a script, sometimes I even dry, draw the character before writing him. Does it make sense? Yeah. Like, like, like even the costumes and all that. And then I'm like, okay, now I have my character. So now I can write about his biography, blah, blah, blah. And where is those gloves coming from, blah, 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 blah. These guns and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm quite crazy with every detail. Yeah. Uh, there, that's something that I learned from John Milius. Our <laughs> uh, our uh, strong John Milius, yep. when he, for example, was talking about, I, I got that book where you had a, uh, it was talking about the history of props in movies, right? And there was a there was a four pages on Conan the Barbarian, mm -hmm. uh, and you have John Milius talking about the the legacies of the legacy of the swords in the movie, and I was like, fuck me, that that's exactly my kind of stuff. Where, for example, that gun. It's not just a gun, right? The gun that Shaka has, for example, is not just a gun. Like it's a gun that he found somewhere uh, at a at a very specific moment, mm -hmm. and that gun built him as a hero, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of small details like that that I that I love to work with. For example, you see on all of them those um, what we call in in French fetish. So fetish, what we call fetish, it's like the small black magic stuff that you can put on yourself as a protection, as a uh, so all those stuff, has a, they all have a story on this mm, character. Mm -hmm. We'll never know that, right? right. So all those things, I'm, I love to work on that because once you give that to the actor, they will play with it. Uh, and it's the same thing with sets, right? So so to go back on your question and to finish on that, it's it's all in prep and it's all starting in my head and then, of course, working with the people, uh, production designer or costumes to, to make them real yeah, uh, and, and not too much comics. <laughs> which is the yeah. yeah. So when you were shooting on location, did you um, did you cast any locals? Uh, yeah, most of most of them. Uh, basically, the people in the camp. Uh, I don't remember how much they are. Uh, to be honest, I'm sorry for that. If there are yeah, ten no or something, but I think there are ten or twelve, and on the ten of them, there's probably four locals. Okay. Uh, and now after that, the entire movie they're just local. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, so the in the three Yenas you have two two Senegalese guys, so Rafa and Midnight. They're Senegalese. They live in Senegal, and Yan is uh, born in France, but he's Cameroonian. Okay, uh, but he's born in France, and he usually uh, play in France. And you're gonna, by the way, you're gonna see him in 1899, which is like the next TV series on Netflix. Of uh, the guy who did Dark. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's going to be in this one, and and you have to watch it. That's going to be very interesting. Oh, so, nice. I'll have to make uh, a note to check that out. Yeah, it's called 1899. 1899. It's, it's going to be out at the end of the year or something, or November, probably. Uh, and he's very good in that, too. Uh, you'll see. Uh, so, but yeah, to answer to your question, mostly locals. Oh, okay. Uh, which was the challenge because when you. You never did a genre movie. There's a, there's some specificity about characters in genre movies, right? Mm -hmm. You have to know how to scream. You have to know how to right, run. You have right. to blah blah blah, like like things that sound stupid. But once you have once you have guys who never did that in a movie for those kind of reason, which is there is running because 
you're 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 uh, you're you're running after somebody, and there is running after monsters that doesn't doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. or, or or being sued by monsters. So so it was a challenge to to uh, educate our cast to uh, what we were doing. Okay. Um, so yeah, mostly locals. Makes sense. And where was your crew from? Mostly uh, Senegal. Oh, Senegal. Senegal. Okay. So yeah, there's a film production. There's like a good in film uh, production yeah, infrastructure. Real, real Senegalese production with Senegalese money. With like <laughs> the the moment we started to go abroad was for post production because, oh, okay. uh, because you don't have a lot of uh, post production available in in Senegal. Yeah. So we started with South Africa and we went to France after that. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but most of the crew, they're French. They're Senegalese. So, Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And the last few questions. Um, what was the process like in getting the movie made? I mean, can you talk talk us through, <sighs> like, the, from the initial idea to finally, you know, raising financing and then finally getting, getting the yeah. thing made? So your question is interesting because it's also answering to the previous question when you said to me, uh, is the cruise entirely Senegalese or how, how much locals we have? Uh, the goal of the movie was always to... Uh, so there is making the movie mm -hmm. and there is also the movie itself as an object. Yep. Uh, the movie itself as an object, as a, as a political object, I mean. Uh, the movie itself, we wanted for the first time to not have French money in that. And I'm going to explain to you why. Uh, most of the movies that you see in, in Africa... Most of the movies that end up in Cannes or big festivals or whatever, they're 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 financed by France or, or subsidies comes from France. So so which is a great thing because it's helping some filmmakers to do what they can do, right? But in the same time, as we all know, subsidies comes with conditions, and those conditions uh, make or those conditions uh, facilitate the fact that you don't have. Uh, genre movies in Africa because right. it's mainly uh, author movies and whatever those type of movies receive the money so we were like there's no way we're going to wait for anybody's approval there's no way we're going to wait for some money that by the way we're ne never going to have and if we have some money it's going to be very short because it's going to be from people who are not in the system mm -hmm. and 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 I'm not saying that as an anti-system because I was I'm, before Salum I was already working in the system but I was like, this movie, as special as, uh, as it's going to be, it needs to be fabricated in a very special manner. Yeah. Makes sense. So, so even the production-wise, how we, how we ended up making this movie was, was a challenge in terms of we're just going to make this movie with our money. Uh, and the money came from commercials. So we mm. did a lot of commercials for one year, a lot of commercials that we that are not our nature but in the same time it was like taking the money right and right. the clients were happy so everybody was happy we were happy we were having some money and then we did the movie with that money which was wow. not a lot amount of money to be honest with you uh but we did it and then what happened was movie was done and most and most of the time what's happening with this kind of movies that has no distributor and no money it's now you're stuck in post-production because now right. It's very expensive, and now you can fake it. Uh, and what happened was we have these American producers who wanted to do a movie with us, and they saw Saloum, and they were like, okay, we want to put money in that. So they put in the money for the post-production. We finished the money with, we finished the movie with that money, and the rest of the money was for a second movie that we shot just after that. <laughs> oh, very cool. <laughs> so, um, so they were our garden angel in that philosophy of we want this thing to be full African. Yeah, uh, the team to be full African just to show it was not a, 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 an act of pride it was an act of we wanted to, to um, or me I wanted to, to, to show to my fellow filmmakers that you can do it and you should do it Yeah, and, and I'm not saying you should do it your entire life I'm just saying start like that and then do whatever you want to do, but at least be free at the beginning to do whatever you want and whatever the movie will go out from that, at least it's going to be unique to you. Yeah, of course. Right? Uh, and the problem with, again, with subsidies is that most of the time they, it generates the same type of movie. Yeah. You know, so, or at least in the subsidies that we have in Africa. So, so there was not a lot of choice, to be honest with you. If you wanted to do something different, <laughs> we yeah. had to do it ourselves 
and uh, and I did my first movie like that, so I knew already uh, what I was facing. The only thing that I didn't knew was Salou. Right? So, yep. so it was the other uh, big difficulty. But uh, but we financed it by ourselves with African money first, and then for post production it was dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's just yeah, hustle, yeah. make those commercials, self finance, and you have a lot more creative control. Yeah, and and I'm gonna be straight honest with you. From the moment we talked about Saloon making the movie, so we didn't even have the story, and the moment we finished shooting, it was like six months. Wow. More than that, you know. Of course, that's something that I paid after right. <laughs> in, 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 in post-production and editing because then you have a script who needed probably one year more. Yeah. But sometimes you have to choose. Sometimes uh, you know that the, the script will not be perfect, but at least you're going to shoot it yep. instead of waiting another year. And you don't know. Maybe the COVID would have killed us and we would never have a movie. <laughs> you know, so. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was an adventure, and and since we are also talking to other filmmakers, it's always my thing to say, uh, don't wait. You know, if 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 it's not if you're not doing Avatar, which needs money, you know, <laughs> if you're doing something that you can do with your two on hands and with a bunch of friends, just do it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, even if it's not great, it's gonna be you. Right. And your first movie or second movie, it needs to be you. Otherwise. Uh, your voice is just going to get lost in whatever you're doing, you know, but that's my theory. So, yeah. So, so as a director, you have a really distinctive and unique style. And I'm curious, what were some of your, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, what were some of your, your kind of directorial inspirations, either movies or, or directors? Oh, shit. I know it's a big one. <laughs> uh, they are the inspiration that the people, uh, give you, yep, uh, and they are the inspiration that that you have, and there are and there is what's appear on screen that you don't control, mm -hmm. right? Uh, since my first movie, there's a lot of people talking about Guy Ritchie, blah 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 blah. Definitely no, <laughs> yeah, definitely no. Uh, not that I don't like the guy, but but I'm not into his movies, so I don't know why it's always coming to me. Uh, of course, there's some Tarantino vibes over there because he's the craziest one that we have in our industry. So, <laughs> so every time that you're trying something crazy, everybody's like, "Yeah, that's Tarantino." Uh, but same, I'm, I'm, I'm not same. I, I love Tarantino. I grew up with him, but I don't want to make the same movie. So, so I don't know until where uh, that unconscious uh, inspiration comes from. You know, yeah. but sometimes it comes. Uh, but my main inspiration in, uh, I won't say to do movies, but to, to, to develop, uh, how you will say that in English, an hygiene as a director. Does it make sense? Like there, there is a learning your craft mm -hmm. is, is, is the most difficult stuff as a director than being on set. Yeah. Uh, being on set is part of learning your craft, but it's not just that. Yeah. Uh, so, so learning my craft came from learning those guys. Mm. Uh, Fincher, Michael Mann, uh, Kurosawa, Sergio Leone, um, uh, there's a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of Koreans. There's a lot of uh, guys from Hong Kong or John Woo. Uh, uh, there's a lot. But uh, on Saloon, the goal interestingly enough for once i said to myself i'm gonna try to erase all the um, uh, influence that i can have for this movie so the fight was to to uh, evacuate all the layers uh instead of, instead of watching a lot of movies it was like i don't want to watch anything you know just want to go with what i would like to see um and and like i said the only the main 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 reference was was from dusk Kill dawn with that swift that swish in the middle yeah yeah so so yeah i'm i'm there's a lot of directors that i'm influenced by but then i i'm trying to be very careful about it not influencing what i'm doing yeah you see what i mean i do uh, um and i watch one or two movies every day so i'm, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm a movie freak man yeah, yeah, <laughs> you and uh, me both. Uh, I'm drugged with movies. Like, uh, 
yeah, that's my sickness. Nice. It's a good one to have, I think. <laughs> right? When it's the good movies, yeah. Yeah, as, as, long, as, as long as they're good movies, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is like a little nerdy kind of detail question. So the drug that they blow, they blow into the guy's face, <laughs> is that supposed like to be Ibogaine? Whoa, man, that's an interesting question. <laughs> okay, you're going you're gonna to understand why I'm laughing a bit. Okay. Um, so, no, it's not supposed to be Abogain, but fuck it, we could have been. Um, because I, I, know, I know the subject, so, and okay. it looks like you know your subject, too. I do. Um, no, it's not Abogain, but, but here's something very interesting about the Yenas. It's said in the movie, but it, it, it's not said in, the, in a very precise way, so... Because we, we lost that in, in everything that we cut it. But the Yenas are supposed to be all mixed, meaning like they're all Senegalese, but they're mm -hmm. also mixed with, with something else. So uh, Shaka is mixed with Cameroon, which is Yan's, the actor country, right? Um, uh, what's his name? Rafa is supposed to be half Senegalese. Uh, it's supposed to be half Senegalese and half Sierra Leone. So why, that's why they call Bengi, the, Yen the Bengi Yenas. And Midnight is supposed to be half Congolese. Okay. Uh, as you may or may not know, Congo, Cameroon, and, and especially Gabon, they all share the, the Ibogaine mm. plant mm -hmm. tree. Uh, and Midnight was supposed to treat them with Ibogaine. Okay. Uh, which is the why he's doing this thing in the movie when he's passing on, 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 on Rafa. Uh, because there was a, there was something bigger about this uh, this uh, treatment yeah. uh, in the movie, and I cut it. Got and it. so this is why at the moment you have one of the guy, one of the bad guys saying, "You can still take your iboga; it's not going to help you guys." That's because it was in the movie. Okay. Uh, but but midnight was supposed to be their shaman, so he's like yeah. the one treating them. Uh, taking care about them spiritually, mystically, mm -hmm. uh, psychologically, everything. And there was a line in the movie where you understood that he did that on Shaka, but it didn't work. Interesting. You know? Yeah. So, so when you say Bogain, that's why I was laughing, because there was a big thing about that in the movie, but uh -huh. I couldn't keep it. But that was part of the thing that I wanted to bring as when I was talking about myths and legends and monsters in Africa, there was that mystical part yep. slash spiritual part. Uh, that was going along with the movie, but that we lost a bit. So yeah. that's a very good question. Cool. But but to be very honest with you, I was searching for so Shaka's his gun, Rafa's his uh, sword, whatever hatchet, matchet, uh, and I wanted midnight to have something more magical, more more uh, more more spiritual, more on the ground. So mm -hmm. so I was like, what can I find? Poison, something, and then it became very clear that. Just a powder, it's, it makes yeah. a trick, right? So that powder was just supposed to be there to for him to have a weapon, you know. And then with the eyeball guy and all this stuff, it becomes more clear that that's exactly what he should, what he should use. So, so your question is very, 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 very well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could tell there was a shamanic yeah. element to him, and yeah, of was, course, that's what was, it would be. So, and of course, cool. you have to imagine as. Because um, I presume seeing all those monsters that you, you're a genre fan, so oh, yeah. he's basically the 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 reference for him is all those shamanic figures that you have in groups that are you know like uh, Manny. Uh, no, it's not was not Manny. Uh, in Predator, you have that Indian guy. Oh yeah, uh, Mexican guy, however he is, mm -hmm. uh, who is like the mystical guy of the group. Like so, you always have that mystical figure in the group, and he was yeah. was right. Uh, so it was he was that cliche figure. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. And uh, yeah, and then Iboga came in that. But that's very, very interesting. You know your shit. I do. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good, good. That's a, that's a big subject. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots to talk about there for sure. Yeah. 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 Where there, there, was a, there, there was a big layer of all this in Saloon that we just lost. But there was a, a big layer of mysticism. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's also the thing that they have to deal with in their adventures in general. When you were talking about the Yenas and the kind of adventure they have on the side, mm -hmm. it's also always very uh, magical, dark magic, uh, and spiritual. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Jean-Luc, this was, this was a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome, Nick. What is next for you? Uh, next is that movie that I was talking about. It's yep. called Zero. Uh, we shot that 
six months after Saloon. It's uh, it's a movie. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you the genre because I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so it's gonna be a big mix of a lot of things, but it's basically two Americans waking up in Dakar with bomb straps on their well, chest and a ten hours kilometer, and you have a. Uh, uh, somebody talking on the phone, giving them uh, orders. Uh, wow. I won't say to you who it is because it's a big surprise and I can tell you it's a big actor. So we did a big jump in terms of uh, of uh, who we casted. So it's going to be a secret until the end. But we have a very good actor, very big actor for that, for that voice. Exciting. And uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's basically a diehard free meet uh, phone booth. Whoa, very uh, cool. With, uh, with a political slash uh, philosophical agenda to all this, but you, you'll, see. you'll see. Cool. All it's right, going to well. be a big mix, and I hope it's going to be as uh, exciting and funny as Salim was. Nice. Was. Well, yeah, I can't wait for whatever you do next, and hoping we get another movie with these with these characters. They're so well, compelling. I hope you're going to receive me again to ask me the best, yes. the best question ever, because you have the best question ever. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> you. Real pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Okay. You have a great weekend. All right, here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Jean-Luc. Number one, dig in untapped mines. Saloon was one of the freshest and most unique horror movies of the past few years. It made me realize the horror genre is getting saturated with very common Western horror tropes that seem to repeat themselves. There are not a lot of African horror movies. However, two other really good ones are Atlantics and His House, both of which are streaming on Netflix. But there are so many other countries, cultures, and mythologies to explore with horror. In the case of Jean-Luc, there was a lot of rich African mythology to explore when crafting his supernatural horror element. So consider digging into the mythology of your own heritage for lesser-known stories that could lend themselves to horror. The genre needs it, and it's what keeps movies fresh, unique, and authentic. Number two, character first. One of the strongest elements of Saloon was the characters. They were some of the coolest I've seen outside of the Tarantino universe. And like I said, I was thinking about them for weeks afterwards and would love to see them show up in more movies. Jean-Luc began with the characters about 10 years before finally putting pen to paper to write Saloon. As a result, they were fully developed and actually came from his own want for African heroes in his youth. Consider crafting your characters first and then finding a story that allows them and their identities to shine. Number three, work that side hustle. Jean-Luc funded the majority of the movie from profits made directing and producing commercials. With a concept like Saloon, it likely would have been difficult to apply for funding, so having a side career that allows you to both flex your filmmaking abilities while making money in a way you can scale up and down gives you a ton of freedom. This might not be a realistic funding strategy for everyone, but it worked for Jean-Luc. Consider using your directorial abilities in other profitable arenas, and you might be able to fund all or part of your movies through that. In any case, don't forget to check out Saloom, now streaming on Shudder, and Jean-Luc's TV show, Sako and Mangan, on Netflix. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor, that's I am Nick Taylor, and on Twitter at the same handle. Thank you again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe.